Hey, I'm so glad that you're joining us this weekend. Happy Easter to you. Uh, way back in the early church, they used to say, He is risen. And then everybody would say, He is risen indeed. And so, He is risen. And you can say it back, but I'm glad you're here. If this is your first time hanging out with us online, uh, my name's Dan. And I love the fact that you have chosen to celebrate Easter with us here uh, online. Uh, one of the Easter is a big weekend, right? <laughs> For the church, it's like the Super Bowl, World Series, Fourth of July, kind of all wrapped into one. And uh, so it is a huge weekend. I'm not gonna lie to you. Uh, with, with that comes a lot of pressure, right? I'm just gonna be really vulnerable with you right up front, right? There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure to like preach a really good sermon, right? Because you have a little extra people listening, and uh, it certainly isn't the weekend to, to to preach a bad one. That's right. Uh, but here's the thing. The pressure rises because the element of surprise is gone, right? Everybody kind of knows what you're going to talk about, right? Uh, my wife kind of saw it in my eyes uh, last night. She knew I was going to come and be talking to you guys online. And she said to me, she said, sweetheart, I know there's a lot of pressure. She said, listen to me, don't, don't try to be cute and don't try to be clever, right? She said, you don't got to tomorrow, you don't got to sound smart and don't try to be funny. She said, just go out there and be yourself. That's <laughs> what she said. And I said, well, thanks, I think, right? Uh, but I'm glad you're here. If you don't have a church home, uh, can I say this? I'd love for you to make Grace Church your home, right? We, we'd love uh, to walk this journey with you. Here at Grace Church, we've been talking about kings and, and kingdoms. It's been kind of interesting. Throughout history, there's been kings and there's been kingdoms. Uh, kings and kingdoms have come and gone, right? Uh, some of those kings rule real kingdoms, real countries. Even now, today, there's real kings ruling real countries, real kingdoms, right? Uh, other uh, kings, they're kind of more of a decoration, like a, uh, a monarchical decoration or ornament that kind of pays tribute to the past, so to speak, right? Uh, in our pop culture, we have kings. Uh, some of you are old enough to remember the king who ruled on the stage with his guitar, right? Uh, Elvis, the king of rock and roll. Um, some of you are sports fans. And uh, so you know that uh, NBA star LeBron James, the way he is referred to is King James. Uh, there's all kinds of kings and references to kings. Now my question, I'm kind of curious about this, kind of raise your hand out there, right? Uh, pretend I can see you. Uh, but I wonder how many of you have ever met a real live king? Uh, see, it's kind of interesting. I have. I, I've, I've met a real live king. Had the privilege of actually living with a king. I actually lived with a king. Uh, I actually was part of the royal family. I guess you could call me Prince Dan, right? But I actually knew a king. Uh, and, and that king actually was my brother. My brother was the 1980 Central Scarlet Dragons homecoming king. I even got a picture. I hope he's watching this, right? But I got a picture. I even got that nice mustache. He happens to be number 88, right? And I remember at this point in time, I was in the ninth grade. And I remember the ninth grade thinking, wow, that's really cool. My brother is the king, right? And I thought, man, that is so cool. I'm part of the royal family of the Cove, so to speak. That was kind of a big deal. I was the king's brother. And I can remember thinking, I would ask him, like, hey, man, now that you're the king, what do you get to do? Like, you're the king. What do you get to do? And I remember his answer. I was like, I remember thinking, really? I, mean, I remember him saying, well, uh, at halftime of the football game, I get to escort the queen out. And then I get to stand with her while they place a crown on her head and they'll put a cardboard crown on my head. 
And, and then back in that day, he actually had to kiss her. And I'm like, mm, really? <laughs> he had to kiss the queen. It's like interesting, right? And then you go to the homecoming dance and you dance with the queen. And then you come back next year and hand the crown off to next year's homecoming king. I'm like, you mean to tell me you boil it down, you get to be the king for one night? Yeah, it kind of kind of brings home a reality. Think about this. Kings come and kings go. Some kings are king for a lifetime. Some for a season. <laughs> Apparently some for one night. When Jesus showed up on the planet, he talked about a kingdom. In fact, that's what he talked about more than anything else. Uh, it was a different kind of kingdom. It wasn't a place you find on a map, right? It was the every heart in life where Christ ruled and reigned. Jesus talked about this kingdom and it saturated his message. This kingdom and his message, it drove his life. The truth is, the message of that kingdom is disorienting, discombobulating. It's counterintuitive. When Jesus taught, there was something counterintuitive about it. Uh, we've illustrated it this way around here. We said, it's almost like he was uh, teaching them to turn the wheel the other way. We've used the illustration of back in the trailer, down a driveway. If you're gonna do that, you're gonna have to do what is counter to your intuition. And that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Uh, for instance, Jesus said this, that the kingdom of heaven, the power of its influence isn't like a bulldozer. It's more like a seed. The way it changes things is like a seed, a small little seed that grows. Uh, Jesus said this, that to understand the, the rewards and the benefits of the kingdom, you have to count the cost, and there's a cost. But the rewards far outweigh the cost. Jesus said this, that if you want to know what it means to be great, serve. Jesus said if you want to know what it means to be free, forgive. Jesus said if you want to know what it means to truly be completely liberated, he says turn the wheel the other way and completely surrender. <laughs> but here's the truth of this week. This King Jesus, what we celebrate this week, it looked as though he was going to be another one of those come and go kings. That's literally what it would have felt like. I don't think anything could have prepared his handful of loyal followers for the dismantling of this king, King Jesus, and his message. How quickly everything changes. It all changed in the matter of a week. Last week this time, he would have been riding like royalty into Jerusalem. Now in the middle of the night, he's arrested like a common criminal. All of a sudden, it set off a course of events. He would go through illegal Jewish and Roman trials. There would have been the flogging. There would have been the mocking, the humiliation, the echoes of a bloodthirsty crowd yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Most of his male followers fled. He was only left with a handful of women, including his mother, who stayed nearby. With one last cry from the cross, this self-proclaimed king would come and go as they watched him die. The story is found in the book of Matthew. If you have a Bible, you can go there with me. I just want to read it because it's powerful. Matthew 27, verse 55 says this, Many women, there's women, were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. At this point in the story, all the men, where are they at? Well, they've deserted, they're hiding in fear. 
Among them, they named some, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. We've met her before in the book of Matthew. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea. His name was Joseph. He himself had become a disciple of Jesus. If you've been following along with Jesus' teachings, apparently, apparently with God, camels really can go through the eye of a needle. Here's a rich man who became a follower of Jesus. Verse 58, going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Pilate ordered that Jesus' body be given to him, so Joseph took the body. He wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. And then he rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. It's interesting as you look at some archaeology uh, of what that would have looked like. Like, sometimes we see some cheesy kind of hallmark pictures of the tomb, right? But this would have been a uniquely, precisely engineered tomb where the stone literally would have been on a track and they would have rolled that stone. And when you read the book of John and his account of this, this tomb that Joseph had was never used and it would have been near the place where Jesus was crucified. And it would have been, remember this, in a garden. The tomb would have been in a garden a, a working garden. <laughs> Verse 62 says, The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver, talking about Jesus, said, After three days I'll rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come, steal the body, and tell the people he's raised from the dead. And this last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said, Take a guard. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. Take, take an army with you, man. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. And then chapter 28. Here's what it says. After the Sabbath, at the dawn of the first day of the week, that's Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, we've met them before, went to look at the tomb. Here we have the gals again showing up. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. And going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, don't be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus. And then he says, you know, the Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. This is key, just as he said. Then the angel makes the invitation, come and see the place where he lay. Then after you come and see, go and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb and they were, this is key, afraid yet filled with joy. That's an interesting combination of emotions, isn't it? Why were they afraid yet filled with joy? They knew everything had changed. They knew everything had changed. I remember when I got married, right? I was filled with joy, I knew, but, but there's a little nervousness and fear. Why? My life's changed, right? I, I knew when I became a parent, I, I was full of joy. I was afraid I, that little guy was going home with me, right? <laughs> everything had changed. They were afraid, yet filled with joy. Why? They knew everything had changed. 
They knew if what this angel saying, everything's different now. And they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings. Literally, he shows up and he says, hi. <laughs> That's interesting. He said, uh, they came to him, they clasped his feet and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. What I just read to you, I want you to know this. For some of you, that's like the hundredth time you've read it. For some of you, maybe it's the first time you've heard it. But I need to tell you that what I just read to you is at the very core of Christianity. At the core of Christianity and the Christian faith is the story that a once dead man is now an alive man. That is what is at the core. There is no Christian faith apart from this story. And here's what I know about you. Whether I've met you or not, you believe something about this story. And for some of you, truthfully, and I'm so glad you're listening, for some of you, it's just hard to swallow. For some of you, like, I think it's a hoax. For some of you, you're afraid like, like, like the soldiers, like that, that maybe this was made up. Right? For some of you, you've convinced yourself that it's a concocted lie, that it's a, that it's a hoax, uh, that, that, that maybe he didn't literally die, even though modern day, modern day medical journals will verify both medically and his, historically the death of Jesus. Maybe for you, 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 you've convinced yourself that it's a story that the disciples made up and that in making up the story and in writing it down, they decided to make women the brave heroes while they hid away in fear. Or maybe you, you've convinced yourself that these disciples, these disciples made this story up, these same disciples who eventually died, and maybe you have convinced yourself that they died to perpetuate this lie that Jesus rose again. But here's what I know. If, 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 if for you, for you, somehow the resurrection's a hoax, you need it to be. You need it to be a hoax. If that's what you believe today, I'm so glad you're listening. And the reason that you need it to be is because if Jesus is alive, it changes everything. If he's alive, it changes everything. And it means Jesus is a king, and he's a king very much unlike any other king. It means he is a king who voluntarily died and victoriously rose from the dead. And here's what it means. Because he is alive, I want you to write it this way. Because Jesus is alive, the winter of this world is coming to an end. I want you to write it down that way. The winter of this world is coming to an end. Let me ask you a question. Show of hands. Anybody excited? Winter is getting ready to come to an end. <laughs> Anybody excited about that? Yeah. Winter can be long and winter can be hard. And when winter begins, you can see death just kind of covering the world. Right? You can just see death kind of covering the world. Because all of a sudden the leaves start to fall, the buds start to fade, the birds even fly, right? And some of y'all are those birds, snowbirds, right? You head out during the winter. Why? Winter's long, winter's hard. Uh, I became an empty nester. And uh, I'm convinced, man, about the time you start getting old, that's when the kids start leaving and that's when you need all the help, right? <laughs> but I became an empty nester. And so two years ago, uh, I got a used snowblower. I was so excited because all my snow shovelers are gone, 
right? And uh, I got this long driveway and so got this snowblower. Didn't need it last year. Go figure, right? Get this used snowblower and then it doesn't snow so I need it, right? But this year I'm like, yes, we got this big snow. No big deal. All my kids gone. I got a snowblower, right? And I remember I went out that, there and I got that thing out of the garage and wouldn't you know it, the first time I needed to use that thing, my snowblower wouldn't start. I had to call a repairman. He came and got it, and he returned that thing once the snow was all melted. Is <laughs> how long it took, right? Here's what I know. Winter can be hard, right? Here's what I know. Everything seems harder in winter. Even your body aches differently. Everything, it, it just seems to last longer. The days are shorter. There's darkness. There's deadness. Something happens, though, at the end of every winter outside of my dining room window. This is interesting because I can look out my dining room window off to the right, and we have a raspberry patch, and it is as dead as dead can be, and yet in the corner of that raspberry patch, there's a little color. I just took this this week. There's a little color in the middle of the deadness. And that color in the middle of the deadness is when the daffodils show up. The first sign of spring. The fact that they show up doesn't mean the snow is over. Can anybody say Thursday? Here's what it looked like Thursday, right? The color's still there, but we kind of had a blizzard at our house, right? But what those daffodils tell me is this, is that spring is here and that winter is ending, and there's gonna be a transformation soon. Listen, Coast, lean in. It makes me think of Easter, and it makes me think of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom that is here already, not completely yet. For some of you, this may be new, but the story of man began in a garden, the Garden of Eden. When God created the world, he created it right side up. He created it perfect in every way. He placed man and woman in this beautiful garden, and he even walked with them in the cool of the day. And then something happened. The serpent convinced the woman and subsequently the man to pursue their own kingdom apart from God and his kingdom. At that moment, winter. The winter of sin, the winter of death, the winter entered human history. The blessing was replaced with a curse. The man and the woman who used to walk with God in the cool of the day, now they're hiding in the garden. They're afraid of him. The man who lived in this beautiful garden is now banished. And he'll have to work the ground to get his food. And that same ground will produce thorns and thistles. Pain and death enter the scene. An angel stands guard over the Garden of Eden to protect man and woman from living in the reality of this perpetual death the rest of their life. The great winter of humanity had begun. The snowstorm that began in one man's life has literally evolved into a blizzard that has affected humanity to this day. That's why what happened in that garden at Easter is so important because it is the first glimpse of hope and life and spring. When Jesus rose from the dead in that garden where that tomb was that Joseph 
placed his body. When Jesus rose again, Jesus is the king who reversed the curse. He is the king. Just like those daffodils are the first sign of spring, so Jesus and his resurrection is the first sign, or the Bible says it this way, the first fruits of the spring of hope and life in our world against a backdrop of deadness and coldness. He's the king who endured our curse so that we could receive his blessing. Here's the way Galatians 3 says it. It says, Christ has rescued us from the curse. Reverse the curse. Pronounced by the law when he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The curse of the thorns in the ground now were the thorns that were on his head. The curse of pain and subsequent death were the pain and death that he now faced and subsequently defeated. The serpent bit his heel, but Jesus at the cross and at the empty grave crushed the serpent's head. Now the angels aren't guarding a tree, but they're guarding a tomb. They're not carrying a sword, but they're carrying good news. Jesus, who you're looking for, is not here. He has risen, just as he said. The spring, the great spring of God has come. And the resurrection of Jesus is the very first sign. Here's the way 1 Corinthians 15 says it. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who died. See, you see it just, death came into the world through a man. Now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. I want to tell you this today. I don't know who all might be watching this, but I'm talking to you. You and I stand between two gardens. In the Garden of Eden, literally everything that was right side up, man's choice turned upside down and the great winter of humanity began. But at that garden that was in the shadow of that cross where Jesus' body was laid, Jesus, who was laid in that tomb, is not there. Come and see. And because he is alive, the great spring of God has come. There's hope. There's life where there was death. The curse has been reversed. And here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. The very next verse, verse 22, says, Just as everyone dies, because we all belong to Adam. Let's stop there for a minute. The winter of this world started with one man, and it's been perpetuating in every human being ever since. There is a snowstorm of sin in each of us. I don't need to convince you of that. There is the deadness of winter in each of our souls. And you already know this. The wages of, the result of that sin, the snowstorm of that sin is death, the Bible says. Apart from the resurrected Jesus, we are left with simply decorating our deadness. But look at what it says. Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Guys, that's what makes Jesus, the once dead, now alive king, unlike any other king. He is a king unlike any other king that has ever lived. For those who say yes to Jesus, 
who trust Jesus, who hook their life into Jesus as Savior, Lord, and King, he gives life. Here's how I would write it down. Jesus is the King who offers me new life. Jesus came and faced my death and yours, and he defeated it. He defeated it. And all who hook their life into him go from the wintertime of the wages of their sin into the springtime of new life in Christ. When I trust him, say yes to him, when I confess him as Savior, Lord, and King, I'm forgiven of my sins. I become part of the family of God. And I have a forever hope. Winter time has ended. He gives new life. And it's interesting. <clears throat> My wife and I, the other day, we went for a walk. And uh, we were just talking. We were on the towpath down here in Akron, Ohio. And as we're walking, everything's dead. There's not a single leaf, nothing. Just everything's dead, gray. And as we're walking, all of a sudden, I began to notice that those same things that I saw in the corner of my raspberry patch, <laughs> all along the towpath, there were little patches of yellow. We'd walk a little ways, another patch. We'd walk a little ways, another patch. Little signs of life in the middle of all this deadness. And it reminded me of something. These little patches of life in the middle of all this deadness point to the hope of spring. I looked at all those and I'm like, spring's coming. Guys, listen to me. In much the same way, all who trust Jesus as Savior, Lord, and King, the kingdom of heaven begins. And we become a patch of life and hope, a patch of kingdom power in the middle of a world that's covered with deadness. For followers of Jesus, this is our privilege, our calling against the backdrop of a dead, divided world, we who follow, trust, and have placed our life in the king's hands, we become a glimmer of hope pointing to the power of a resurrected life. Patches of kingdom life bursting through a world that is dead. <laughs> That's not all. That is not all. I love, keep reading 1 Corinthians 15. Here's what it says. Christ, verse 23, was raised at, as the first of the harvest, right? He's a sign, spring, right? Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come. And when he will turn the kingdom of God, a kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler, authority, and power. Guys, listen, listen, listen. Those daffodils in the corner of my raspberry patch, those daffodils that I see on the towpath popping up here and there, they simply are signs of life that winter is coming to an end and spring is coming. The resurrection of Jesus points to the fact that Jesus is the king that reversed the curse, that Jesus is the king who gives me new life. And so those patches of life in the middle of our world begin to sprout up. But Jesus is a king like no other king. And he is the king who will make all things new. <laughs> I love how J.R.R. Tolkien says this. 
He says the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus means that one day everything sad will come untrue. Here's the way the writer of Revelation says it. He says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne will say, look, I am making everything new. The great spring of our king is on his way. I heard a, a pastor one time just kind of spout off a list. His name's Pastor Eidelman. <laughs> and that list that he spouted off was all the things that there will be no more when he makes all things new. I've shared it here at our campus before, but it's just, I cannot go away from Easter without sharing that we have a king who's going to make all things new. And in his kingdom, Revelation 21, there is no more. There is no more death, sorrow, crying, or pain. There is no more cancer. There's no more COVID. There's no more rejection. There's no more loneliness, depression, band-aids, tissue boxes. There's no more crutches, casts, wheelchairs. There's no more pacemakers, no more x-rays, MRIs, no more CAT scans, no more radiation, no more chemotherapy, no more MS, IBS, no more bloated stomachs, bad breath, BO, no more suicide bombers, no more school shootings, no more metal detectors, no more anxiety medication, middle of the night calls. There is no more crosses along the side of the road, no more colds, no more coughs, no more flu shots, no more acne, dementia, dentures, inoperable tumors, no more insecurity, no more infomercials, no more miscarriages, child abuse, rape, tornado sirens, hurricane warnings, no more love handles or saddlebags, no more cottage cheese thighs or double chins, no more deodorant, no more deodorant stains, no more shaving, plucking, waxing, no more Rogaine, right? No more Medicare, no more senior care, no more daycare, yelling, fighting, bullying, no more road rage, no more racism, no more addiction, no more drama, no more crash diets, no more gossip, no more guilt, no more legalism, no more injustice, no more taxes, bills, politicians, elections, no more tears, no more pain, no more exhaustion, no more death, no more mourning, no more grieving, no more funeral homes, no more tiny caskets, no more waiting rooms, no more courtrooms, no more ventilators, no more vaccines. Jesus is a king like no other king. Is he your king this Easter?